Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to speak to you from the subject for grace and truth. For grace and truth. Last week I spoke to you for love and truth. And today I want to move into another area of the word of God, which is the the areas of grace and truth. One verse I want to read to you out of the book of John. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, and this is speaking about Jesus and speaking about the purpose that for which he came and the reality of who he is. And the Bible says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Today, my subject is for grace and truth. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, we give you this moment. Will you come and speak, deliver, and redeem? God, we honor your word and honor the preaching of it. God, we honor the fact that you chose to send your presence among us today, and we thank you for that, God. We don't take it lightly. We don't want to become familiar with it. God, we're thankful for it every single time. And so, Lord, as I speak, may you speak deep into our hearts, bring change in our life, strength and uh, love and conviction that you would build us up in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 My kids have a couple of scooters that we bought them. And um, I gotta gotta admit, they're not the highest quality scooters. But they love them. And they, they, they go riding on them and everything. And of course, one of the first things I do when they have the scooters is set the boundaries of where they get to scoot, you know? We live on a, on a cul-de-sac, and it's kind of at the, the bottom of a, of a hill, which isn't a, a large hill unless you're scooting down it, and then it's a pretty large hill. And it's sandy and slippery and all of that. And so I, 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 I set some boundaries for my kids, you know, because I'm a father. And I would go so far as say a good father. Depends on who you ask, but I would propose good father. And so as a good father, I set some boundaries, all right? This, this high, you can go up the hill, but no, no further, you know? I, and, I, and I want you to be able to, to have fun, but don't go past this, because if you go further up the hill, there, there's going to be problems. Now, my sons are, are four and seven, respectively, and, um, and they have very little context for hills and uh, wheeled transportation vehicles and gravity, momentum. They don't understand these concepts, but, but I do because I have more, uh, I've got more, um, uh, I don't experience, uh, with these type of things, you know, and, and I, I skateboarded back in my day. I was cool. You know, I, I, I rollerbladed (laughs) and, uh, and I had my fair share of, of, of crashes going down big hills. So, so, so I understand a little bit more for them. And based on that, out of my wisdom, I'm setting some boundaries. But of course, after a couple, uh, couple minutes go by, I turn to see my youngest, Micah, four years old, on his radio flyer scooter, coming from far past the boundaries, <laughs> down the hill, barefoot. <laughs> and everything goes into slow motion. And my eyes grow wide, and his eyes grow wide. And I know that because our eyes lock, and there's this unspoken language of, uh oh. <laughs> and so I start yelling to him, hit the brake. And so he says, okay, I'll put my foot down. 
No bueno. <laughs> he starts to wobble. And this thing's wobbly on its own, so he starts to really wobble. He hits a sand patch. His leg gets caught, and he tumbles down <laughs> the road. When he finally comes to a stop, he's all tangled up in the scooter. He looks at his brother, and his brother looks at me, and I look back at both of them, and we have that pause. You know that parent pause where you're waiting to see, will he cry? Because <laughs> sometimes they don't, you know? And it's almost like they're not sure. He's deciding. <laughs> Shall I? You know? And this time, amazingly, he doesn't cry. Incredible, thank God, so that mom stays inside and we all don't get in trouble. <laughs> I run to Micah and I, I check on him and I make sure, are you doing all right? And I look at his hands and I make sure the cuts aren't too deep and there's not too much blood and, and I'm evaluating and I'm, and I'm speaking. I say, you're all right, buddy. You know, you, you, you're, doing, you're doing good. You know, it's okay. This happens. You know, I love you. You give him a hug. Get him, get him brushed off and everything. And, 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 and you know, I, I, I respond with grace for my son because I love my son, right? But if you could... If you could if you could pause this scene and, and view it from heaven's perspective, this is what God does with us. Because we're his children. And make no mistake, he is a good father. And so what God does is he, he loves us enough to set boundaries for us. This is the way you should live. But see, when he sets those boundaries, he sets them not, not based on us, but based on him. God knows us. God knows humanity. He knows the failures of the flesh. He knows the temptation of mankind. He knows the schemes of the enemy. He knows historically what happens. God knows way more about how life works than we know about how life works. And the only way we can learn more if we don't trust God is to discover it for ourselves. And God doesn't want that. So God says, why don't you trust me and I'm going to set some boundaries here in life. But of course, like my son, as all children are, what we start doing is we start testing the boundaries. Pushing past the boundaries. It doesn't take us long. From a young age, we start to see how much further we can go. How much outside of the boundaries we can go and still be all right. The, the problem is, inevitably, we go a lot further than we meant to go. And we start losing control. Sometimes in our minds. Sometimes in our lives. Sometimes in circumstances. And our life begins to become wobbly because of our own choices. Our life starts to get a little bit out of control. Things begin to happen that are consequences of choices made further up the road. And what happens is eventually the consequences of our own mistakes, our own foolishness, our own failures, our own sin is that we crash. Inevitably, we crash and we burn. The good news is God's response in that moment is always first grace. He's a good father. And like when the prodigal son returns, the father runs to the son and responds in grace. Like the good Samaritan, he comes down into the pit, pulls us up, puts the balm on us, sets us aside, and begins the healing process. God is a good father, and he always responds in grace. But he doesn't leave us just there. He then resets the boundaries, especially in light of the, of the fallout. 
So with my son, I said, I'm glad you're doing all right. Now this time, go get your shoes on, go put your helmet on, and do not pass dad's boundaries. And now hopefully some trust has grown between him and me, that dad's not doing this to stop the fun, but dad is doing this so that fun can continue to be had, so that there can be safety, so that there can be joy. I'm doing it not out of 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 a, a, an idea to punish, but I'm doing this out of love. My response is grace, but I don't just leave him there and say, try it again. No, I'll reset the boundaries. That's truth. And that's what God does with us. He responds in grace because he's a good God. But he would not be good if he pretended that the boundaries didn't exist and left you in that broken state to repeat the cycle again and again and again. What a good God does is respond in grace and then reestablish truth. See, God has both grace and truth within himself. He holds within himself both the reality of truth and the capacity for grace. These are not enemies. These are allies to the nature and the work of God's love. The problem is society, our human nature, and even in the church, the problem is people try and pit these two aspects of who God is against each other. They say, choose. Are you a grace guy or are you a love guy? Are you, a, are you one of those grace preachers or do you preach the law? Come on, do you preach the word? See this Bible, it's not big enough. Get a bigger Bible. I'm talking the word. And, 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 and this can grow even in of ourselves that we think, well, well you know, does, does God love me or is it karma for my mistakes? Not knowing even in the middle of our crash, both are present. God God doesn't say grace or truth. The reality is, reality is God is both. He is both grace and truth. And I pray that we are a church and you are a Christ follower that exemplifies the grace of God without losing, the, losing sight of the standards of God. That you show the grace of God, that you live in the grace of God, that you receive the grace of God without abandoning or, or coming against the boundaries of God. Both are necessary. Both bring blessing. Both work together. And both come from God. Amen? And we see both of these at work in this amazing story in the book of John chapter 4. We see First, God's response as a representation of, uh, of grace. Because the question is, what does grace look like in action? What does grace and truth look like in action? And we see God's response to a woman whose life is crashing. Her, her life is in disarray. She's absolutely caught in confusion and destruction. And Jesus comes to this woman, who's a Samaritan woman, beside the well. And it's a famous story. And, and Jesus, Jesus kicks off this this radical conversation with this woman with a request. He says, will you give me a drink? And what's, what's so powerful about this is that Jesus opens the avenue of communication with someone that could not open and would not open the avenue of communication with him. What Jesus does is he asks for something. Why? Because he needs a drink? No. But what he's about to do is, is engineer the circumstances to give the very thing that this woman needs. And so he, he starts the thing off with a question, as God 
usually does. I'm telling you, many times when God will speak to you, he'll speak to you in the form of questions. Because really, God wants to bring you through a process because he wants to reveal or release something to you. And so, so Jesus says to her, hey, will you give me a drink? Here's the open avenue of communi- communication between God and man. And her reaction is shock. She says, how could you ask me for a drink? What are you doing here? What's going on here? See, this is out of order. This shouldn't be. So you'd only understand her reaction if you understand the context of what's going on. She's a Samaritan, and he's a Jew. And the Bible even lets us know. You don't even have to know any history to know, because the Bible puts it right in there. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And notice this, that it doesn't say the Samaritans have no dealing with the Jews. It's from the Jews' side. They're saying, you are not like us. There were differences. There were problems. There were disagreements. And there were divisions. And I want you to know these things went very deep. They were ethnic disagreements between the Jews and the Samaritans. More than that, there were religious disagreements. They believed how to worship God very differently. And these divisions went very deep. And more than even that, to add on top of layers, there's historic disagreements, wars, violence, betrayal, and hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. This whole setup is set up for God, for Jesus, to not, to not be in relationship with this woman. Jews would never, ever be in relationship with Samaritans. So if Jesus was going to follow the customs of society, if he was going to go along with how we all lived, he would have been silent towards this woman. But make no mistake, Jesus came here to open up the avenues of communication. He came here to bring both grace And truth, not just to those who deserve it, not just to those in our tribe, not just to those who think like us, were raised like us, have the same mindset like us. Jesus comes to correct wrong thinking that that nations and societies have agreed on, even going back hundreds and thousands of years. You know, all the Jews were shocked by this. This woman was shocked by this because she was saying, hey, this isn't how we do it. But thank God. He is the representative of grace and truth. He says, I've got grace for the past, but I'm coming to change how things are done. This is a radical, this is a radical conversation between, between Jesus and this woman, and he's coming against, and he's going to break down the tribalism and, and the things that, that, that mankind has falsely believed matter and allowed divisions to creep in. Grace, this is what grace does. It engages the individual despite differences. Grace engages people despite differences. And I'm not saying there weren't differences. There were. And there were reasons for them. And there were reasons for the hatred. And maybe they were even justified. But Jesus comes and says, I'm here to do a greater work. Will you follow me in it? I'm here to reset some boundaries. I'm here to reveal some things. I'm here to bring change. This is true. Jesus never allowed his actions to be directed by society's reactions. Jesus never made his choices by the conflicts of other people and the reactions of other people. Jesus said, I'm going to live by the truth and I'm going to give a lot of grace. And so this is why he comes to the one woman that no one else would come to. And he even goes to the one place no one else would go through. And more than that, in the course of the conversation, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, 
this is astonishing, that he chooses the Samaritan woman, the supposed enemy, to say who he is. He reveals himself as the Messiah, and he offers her salvation. I love this story because it shows grace on top of grace on top of grace on top of grace. Jesus says, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to reveal myself to them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to forgive the past. And I'm now going to offer forgiveness for eternity. God, God is a good God. And I want you to know you are not too far off. Your past does not cut you off. No one else gets to separate you and God. And where there is division, there is ungodliness. Because when Jesus comes in, he rises above those petty, human, willful, ignorant things. Why does he do this? Why does he go to this woman? Why does he offer her the spring of water that wells up to eternal life? Why her? Why there? The truth is, God's not just going to her. He's going to you. And he's going to me. He's finding the one person in all of that society that would have been most ignored, and he's going to her. It's a picture of him saying, I'm coming to you. Have you ever felt that way? Why me, Lord? Have you ever felt the weight of your sin and shame? You say, God, you couldn't love me. You couldn't forgive me. You couldn't accept me. This story is hope for you. Because if he came to her, he'll come to you. If he forgave her, he'll forgive you. I would propose to you today that what Jesus is doing is widening the window of heaven. He's widening the avenue of grace. And he's including supposed enemies. This is what the Bible says of us in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He came for you. He came to restore you. He came to grace you. He came to forgive you. And he came to offer you salvation. You who once were enemies and far away, Jesus through this story is proving there is no one too far for me to go after, for me to chase after, for me to offer grace to. There's three things that you need to understand about grace. The first is that grace doesn't avoid difficult situations. The second is that grace doesn't dismiss undesirable people. And the third is that grace doesn't deny those who desire it. Three things you got to know about grace. It doesn't avoid difficult situations. Jesus says, I'm going to walk through Samaria. Every other Jewish man at that time would have walked around Samaria. But Jesus says, that's where the message, that's where I'm going to get in the middle of. Grace doesn't dismiss undesirable people. He doesn't, he speaks to the Samaritan woman that had the lowest reputation in the land. If you are filled with sin, you are the person that Jesus is coming for. And grace doesn't deny those that desire it. I want you to hear me. America is filled with good people that need grace. America is filled with good people that need grace. I know, I'm not saying they're perfect people. They're sinners. They need grace. I think we are living under perpetual lies that are causing us to be divided from each other. And they are coming from rulers and authorities in high places. And it is incessant, 
and it is continual, but it is not from a place of love. It is not from a place of grace, and it's not even from a place of truth. The reality is America is filled with good people. It's filled with good people that need grace. The enemy wants us divided. The enemy wants us divided based on our skin color. The enemy wants us divided based on our medical statuses, how many shots you got and when you got them, and you tell me right now and put it on the app. The enemy wants us divided by what kind of car we drive. The enemy wants us divided by a societal status. The enemy wants us divided even by our own religion. All of this is tribalism. But Jesus comes in to say, I've got a tribe for you. I'm the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I've got blood for you. And I've got covering for you. And we find our unity not in these small things. We find our unity at the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know there is so much good in this nation. And if you turned off the TV and deleted the raving lunatics on Twitter, you would go out into the world and you would find that people are good that they're just trying to keep their children safe, that they're just trying to fill up their gas at the pump, that, that if you sat next to someone at the plane, if you sat next to 10,000 people, you would have 9,999.5 good interactions. That the reality is this, that people are doing their best, even amidst the flaws and the lies and the sin and the difficulty. And to point out their wobbling and their, and their screw-ups and to cancel them and hate them and say you're different and you look different and you sound different is to ally yourself with someone that hates them and you. But the reality is that they're wobbling because they need grace and truth. And they need representatives of them both. And I'm here to tell you the truth, that you and I, we're America. Our government is not America. We're America. And it's filled with good people that love each other and are for each other. And God loves this land. And God loves this people. And we are the final authority. Not those that shout the loudest. But those that stand on truth are the final authority. So may we represent Jesus to all that we are and all that we meet. And I want to encourage you in this. You do not have to deny truth to deliver grace. This is Christ's model. He engages with the one that no one would ever engage with. He is the personification of truth, but he extends grace. And so you can engage with those that are not like you, that disagree with you, even that mistreat you, but you can stand on truth and extend grace and therefore become like Jesus Christ. He shows us how grace works when he speaks to this woman at the well. He's a representation of grace, but he's also the, the representation of truth. And so now he begins to dive in a little bit deeper into her life after, note this, after he offers her salvation. She's excited about it. She wants this rivers of living water. And Jesus says to her, now go get your husband. Tell him to come here. Bring him with you. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's that's right, you have five husbands. In fact, the man you're living with now, the sixth, you know, he's not even your husband. And she said, um, and, and, then, and then he doubled down. He says, so, so what you have said is true. <laughs> Technically, you don't have one husband. You got a lot more. What is Jesus doing? He's bringing out, hold on, he's bringing out the truth. He's bringing out the truth. The reality of the destruction in her life. He's not avoiding it. He's not pretending that it's not there. 
He's not overlooking it. He's saying, no, 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 let's talk about the truth. What you have said is true. What you've said is true. You're trying to hide it, but you're revealing the truth. No, you're, you're, you're in the midst of the disastrous relationships and disastrous choices. And this is on a biblical scale. I mean, if you met someone today that had five husbands, you'd be like, what's? Have you tried something else? Have you read a book? And this is on a biblical level. But back then, there's a reason this woman went to the well alone. No one would be around her. I mean, she would have been an absolute cast off from society. And Jesus says, this is who I'm going to. I'm going to the most destructive person I can find in Samaria. I'm going to the one person that is absolutely disregarded by everyone that she's around. And what am I going to do? I'm not going to pretend that there's no problem. I'm going to point out the problem specifically. This is truth. You say, you can't talk about our problems. That's not grace. No, grace is only activated by truth. To pretend that there's no boundaries is to live in a false reality. To pretend that there's not consequences is to live willfully blind. And that's not Christ. And that's not Christianity. No, he goes right to the source of her problems. No, you're caught in a cycle of destructive relationships. Jesus does not ignore sin. He reveals it. Why? So he can forgive it. So he can restore her. So he can redeem her. So that he can change her. So that five doesn't become seven. So that seven doesn't become ten. Jesus says, I've showed up and I'm here to break the chains and I'm here to break the cycles. But let's talk about the issues. The problem is that we have a problem of pretending that there's no problem. That's our problem. That we have a problem in pretending that there's no problem. And the church does no good pretending that everything's fine. We lose our moral authority. We step off the high ground that is the rock of Jesus Christ. If we say, you're fine, we're fine, everything's fine, just come in. It's no big deal. You don't have to change. You don't have to repent. You don't have to do anything. No, grace and truth work together. Both are necessary. Both are necessary. Why? Why? Because God... Is, is his desire is to fix this core problem. And whatever it is in your life, it might be different in you than it was at the woman at the well, but, but whatever it is for you, God will come right to it. And, and you know how he speaks to the issues in your life? He speaks through conviction. Conviction is God's overlooked method for correction. It's overlooked, even amongst us, conviction, conviction. Yeah, I felt something, but I got to hear it in a sermon. Pastor's got to do a series on my vice. I got to hear an audible word. Is there not a dream? Let me go to a conference and hear it from a prophet. Someone else has to give me some advice. I got to get a counselor to tell me. But how does God speak to you about the issues that you really need to deal with? He speaks with the still small voice of conviction. Conviction is the overlooked method for correction. Why? Because God's going to speak past your mind, past your actions, directly to your spirit. And the scary thing is, no one's around. You can ignore that still small voice. No one's around. You can pretend it's not there. 
But the reality is God is faithful and true to convict you of the things that eventually are going to lead to you crashing your life. And so what we need is more conviction. And that the church and Christians, we don't make the mistake of calling that condemnation. It's not condemnation if it comes from God. Because I think sometimes when, like in last week or this week, when I start talking about sin and truth, and sometimes we get agitated, and sometimes there's areas of our life where, where this is uncomfortable that we're talking about things. But I want you to know when God touches an open wound in your life, it's not, it's not to agitate it, it is to heal it. When God exposes things in your life, it's not to mock. It's not to jeer. You know, the world will mock and jeer. And the more you wobble, the more they laugh. In the heart of the crash, the greater their joy. But not God. God will speak to you along the way to bring correction, to bring forgiveness. God convicts. God convicts, he brings conviction, not condemnation. Why? It be so that if you choose not to conceal it, but instead to reveal it, now God can heal it. This woman's reaction, though, is a lot like our reaction. She instantly pivots like, to where we all kind of disagree. She, she instantly pivots into justification. She instantly <laughs> pivots away from the hard truth and tries to get into a different subject. She after Jesus tells her about her life, she says, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. I love that statement. So understated. Like she's figuring out, ah, there's something different about you. Like, yeah, no duh. I perceive that you are a prophet. Good perception. And so then she goes into it, right? Here we are. She goes right into a, a religious debate, a theological debate. She, she goes into a doctrinal debate. And man, this is, this is definitely what Christians end up pivoting towards is instead of allowing conviction to settle, now we can, we can bring justification because technically, and, and, and what about your sin? And, and, and what about this subject? Or what, what about that? Or what about them? And, and, and now she begins in whataboutism. And she says, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I, yes, I'm not perfect, but neither, neither are you guys. Where do you worship? Where, do you worship in Jerusalem? Because we worship on this mountain. And are you saying you're greater than Jacob who established this mountain? And now she's trying to justify herself by creating distance between her and God. This is what got us into the problem to begin with. This is what brought the separation be between the Jews and Samaritans so much more. This is what brought separation between God and man. Adam instantly says, she gave me the fruit. It's talk to her. And then Eve, it was, that, it was the snake. Why is the snake even talking? What is it? It's distancing, distancing myself from the truth. Finding someone else to blame, finding another disagreement so I don't have to face the reality of my fallen nature, the reality of my need. And this is what we do. He says, you tell me the truth. Who's right? Where should we worship? Tell me the technicalities, but Jesus. He soars above the petty disagreements. He soars above the little justifications. And he goes right to the heart of the issue. Jesus is saying, the time is coming. And even has come now where the Messiah will reveal himself. I am the Messiah. And he says this, it doesn't matter where you worship because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in... Did you catch that? Jesus is saying, if you want to worship me, you got to embrace the truth. 
If you want to venerate me, you got to embrace the truth. If you want to receive eternal salvation, we got to come at it from the perspective of truth. If there is no acknowledgement of truth, there can be no veneration of God. And if there is no veneration of God, there is no revelation of grace. I'm going to say that again. If there is no acknowledgement of truth, there can be no veneration of God. And if there is no veneration of God, there can be no revelation of grace. Truth unlocks salvation. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you about worship. It's not about the Jews versus the Samaritans. It's not about the past. It's not about where. It's about who you worship. It's about me. See, the problem is mankind has attempted for so long to sever God from truth. And it's left us orphaned of them both. Second Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth. Hold on, go back, go back. And so be saved. It's the love of truth that leads to salvation. And then look at this next verse. It says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who didn't believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You might say, what's happening with society? It's as if they're delusional. God says, if you reject me, if you deny me, you don't get to live in truth and reality. You're going to have to go to a different false place because my hand won't bless it. C.S. Lewis says this, if you look for truth, you may find, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort... If you look for pleasure, if you look to avoid, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin and in the end, despair. The reality is this. You need, we must, we must be people that hold fast with everything that we are to truth. That we do not deny it to be accepted by society. That we do not diminish it in order to live with ourselves. But we hold fast to truth even if it hurts as it begins to remove the lies from our life. But make no mistake, it will never do its work without the balm of grace. That God accepts and God loves and God forgives and God is for and God will change you. I pray that as we build our lives on these twin pillars of grace and truth, that God begins to build strength into who we are, begins to establish our children and our future so that our love may be genuine that we abhor what is evil and we choose to hold fast to what is good. God holds within himself both the reality of truth and the capacity for grace. These are not enemies. These are allies to the nature and the work of God. This woman had a revelation of who Jesus was, and though she heard the truth, she felt the love. And the Bible says that she ran down into the city and and she literally began to evangelize, telling her testimony. And she said this phrase. She says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? The truth led her to a revelation of God. See, when God revealed her sin, it exposed her need for grace. 
But it didn't leave her there in her need. It brought her close to God. The Bible says in Romans 3, for all have sinned. This is a sermon for everybody. It's not an us versus them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I thank God for the truth, but I thank God also for his grace. And I pray that we are a church that exemplifies the grace of God without losing sight of the standards of God. So my challenge to you is this, to let truth expose your life. He's good. He's good. And maybe you've even been following Jesus for 10 years. I want you to know, God, God exposes truth, but he does it even in seasons. Because if God was to show us the reality of all of our sin, it would absolutely overwhelm us. So, so God exposes our truth in exposes us to truth in season. So he's always working on an aspect of our life. And I want, to I want to challenge you, embrace that truth. Don't avoid it. Don't pivot. Don't go somewhere else. Somewhere else. Don't isolate yourself. Don't avoid his voice, but embrace that difficult process. I want to challenge you to embrace the truth of the gospel. Hear me, even if you don't fully understand it. My sons don't fully understand why the boundaries are where they are. And yet, Wisdom would say, even though I don't understand, I trust an omniscient, omnipotent God who loves me and is for me. I trust your boundaries, even when I don't feel like listening to them. Even if I don't feel like they're right, I choose truth over my limited perception. I challenge you to choose to live in truth, despite the societal costs. Oh, my goodness. When the disciples came back, they were shocked. What is he doing talking to her? You can't do that. But Jesus says, I'm here to do the thing none of you could have done before. I'm here to bring truth, even to those who are supposed to be my enemies. Grace is the bridge that brings man to man and man to God. And the last thing I challenge you is to allow grace, allow grace to bring you back to truth. May we be a church that exemplifies the grace of God without losing sight of the standard of God. And I believe that if we hold to love and truth, and if we hold to grace and truth, we give God something to bless. Amen? May God bless our church. May God bless our children. May God bless our futures. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.